Who have we got here? We've got Wilbur, Archie, Lupo, and Dexter. So Archie spends most of his time up at the house. That's the big guy over there. And then these three guard all of the chickens down here. The dogs are just beautiful animals. Absolutely love them. Hi, I'm Sam Loy, and welcome to Propagate the show for young farmers and fishers. In this season of Propagate, we are looking at farmers who run value-add businesses, a generation of growers focused on sustainability, regenerative land management, and closing the gap between producers and consumers. And in this episode, I want you to meet Sarah Sivia. I didn't know a lot about chickens before starting this. Actually, I didn't really know anything about chickens. I didn't grow up with chickens, but I was really nervous about that because I was like, okay, this feels very weird being so green and going into the chicken business. My name is Sarah Sivia. I'm 42 years old and I'm a chicken and beef farmer in the Hunter Valley. So I run a cattle property in the Hunter Valley that's about a couple of thousand acres. We run 300 head here, so cow-calf operation. We also have two and a half thousand chickens or layers. And yeah, the cattle farm's been in the family for about five generations and the chicken business is very new. It's about five and a half years old. Sarah runs Just Been Laid, a thriving egg business based out of the Hunter Valley in New South Wales. She's a solo parent to one human and now also a parent to two and a half thousand chooks. Sarah started Just Been Laid in 2017 and runs egg deliveries to Newcastle and Maitland two to three days a week. She's hardworking and it's taken her about two years to turn a profit. Sarah spent about 15 years working off farm and studied chemical engineering and then did her MBA at Oxford. She's a Nuffield scholar, so, you know, she's a bit of an overachiever. And it's safe to say that starting Just Been Laid wasn't an overnight decision. Before I came back to the farm, I had done a a lot of research as to what I'd like to do when I came back to the farm. Yes, the farm had been here for generations and it had transitioned from a tobacco farm back in the 1850s or generations ago to more recently a dairy farm and then beef. For me, I wanted to do something a little different. My father was still alive when I came back and he was definitely running the beef side of the business and I was super keen to help and learn as much as possible, but I needed something of my own. And eggs, it was one of a couple of businesses I looked into. I also looked into a ginger beer business that I would love to run from here and that might be something for the future. But eggs was something that appealed to me more from my process background. So I really love predictability and continuity and repetitive processes so that you can refine them to a certain degree, a little bit like dairy farming. I don't want to certainly don't want to say that livestock are predictable in any means, but the process of processing milk or in this case, collecting eggs, packaging eggs, making sure they're of a high quality and getting them to the end customer was something that we could really refine. When she was refining what sort of farming could complement the beef business, Sarah says that eggs were a natural fit. Mostly environmentally, but also from a being able to continue to run the beef business and not compromise on quality or quantity. The eggs, if anything, just added a bonus. The chickens, they just they look after the soil so well. 
the hardest part for us is managing things like in the middle of summer when we've got great grass growth is really just trying to manage both types of animal to make sure that we're still managing the soil in the way that we want to. We don't add and haven't had to add anything like synthetic fertilisers or anything like that as an example since the addition of the chickens because they do such a good job and we're able to rest the pasture in between rotations. So for us, chickens were a natural fit. I think we will now start to consider, I keep saying we like I run some giant empire, it's literally me and my team, um, but I, I think I'll start to consider other enterprises that we will add in here. And that's, if I'm honest, not necessarily all about the farming side of things, it's more about diversifying my risk. I think if anything I've learned from the pandemic is that we don't want our eggs all in the one basket, and I realise that sounds, that wasn't supposed to be funny, but it's the truth. Alongside her 300 head of cattle and 2,500 chooks, Sarah's already thinking about expansion. But it's a little while off. And in the meantime, she's got a super solid business case. So the concept behind Just Been Laid is that the egg is the freshest you're ever going to get as a consumer, unless you have your own backyard chickens. I did a, a lot of due diligence before starting the business just to ensure that there was going to be an end customer when I started. And when speaking to chefs, so I spent a lot of time with chefs in the months before deciding to press go, the chefs told me that the biggest issue they have with eggs was both time and costs. So for them, time, the issue there is when a chef goes to poach an egg for breakfast for you or I on a Saturday morning or for brunch, they'll crack the egg straight into the boiling water. And in that instance, if the egg doesn't poach straight away, for example, if the egg is an older egg and the egg just literally dribbles away and doesn't hold its shape, they've wasted money there in the cost of the egg, but they've also wasted their own time in the prep of that egg. So for me, it was about handing a chef, for example, a tray of 30 eggs, being able to guarantee or hope that they can poach, if not all, almost all of those eggs. And in our case, that's what we aim for and that's, that's what we get. We really chase feedback from the chefs on that because it's just too important. That's what the business is based on and that's why the chefs pay a premium. So Just Been Laid consists of about 50% wholesale business and a 50% retail business. So we run a pasture-raised egg business, and that means that our chickens are out on grass all day. They also have access to a complementary grain mix. They live in mobile caravans that are moved, if not once a week, twice a week, depending on the weather, onto fresh grass where the chickens can graze. They do their thing also to give back to the soil and by scattering their manure everywhere, also turning the soil over. It really gives the soil some new life. So once the chickens have laid their eggs, they actually lay them in the caravan itself. Whilst we also perch train the chickens, some birds don't realise that we'd really love for them to lay their eggs in the nest boxes that are in the caravans, and one or two might lay them on the ground. So we can't use any eggs that are laid on the ground. So we work really hard to train that chicken. It only takes a couple of mornings, but when she looks like she's about to go and lay her egg on the ground, we'll pick her up and put her in a nest box. And basically then that means all our eggs are super duper clean. We don't need to wash any of our eggs. They're laid onto a perfectly clean conveyor that we manually roll in, collect once or twice a day and bring back up to our cool room and grading shed where the eggs are then graded for size and quality and packed by hand into cartons or trays depending on whether they're going to our retail or wholesale customers. Once they're in cartons and trays, they're then delivered within 24 to 48 hours into Newcastle or Maitland and straight literally to the customer. 
our subscription business is we tried to keep that as simple and as straightforward as possible. That is where our customers pay $12 a week for their eggs to be delivered to a nominated hub. And in this instance, all of our collection points or hubs are cafes in Maitland and Newcastle. And those relationships with those cafes and hubs are really, really important. The cafe doesn't clip the ticket in, in a sense. They don't get anything financial necessarily directly out of that relationship. But what we do hope is that by someone coming in to pick up their dozen eggs, they're also going to go and buy a coffee or a slice of cake or whatever it might be. So it's, we're hoping that it's also bringing people into, into those hubs. We're pretty strict as to how we've chosen those collection points. They're all cafes that align with how we run our business, sort of a values-based business. They're very thoughtful as to how they source and choose the food and who their suppliers are. So we really needed to work hard to find those. But all of our cafes, all the, the ones since the beginning, we've had them for five and a half, six years as partners. So we hope that they're happy with us. We're very happy working with them. And similar to bringing chefs up here to be involved with the egg business, we will often bring up the teams from our collection points because if I'm completely honest, they're the face of our business, really. They're the contact point that our customers have or the first contact point that our customers have with the eggs. So the barista who's making their coffee needs to be able to talk about the Just Been Laid business. We don't have a Just Been Laid representative in every hub. So we need those guys and girls to come up here, see how we run our business and be able to talk to how our production method works. Sarah's really passionate about keeping her local community connected to fresh produce and her business model reflects that. Her egg subscription model is also very functional. So the subscription model came about because I really wanted a predictable cash flow. Cash flow, if anything, if you're talking about lessons in the business that I've learned, for me, cash flow is king. Everyone says that. It, it's really true. <laughs> if you don't have cash, you can't invest in your business. You can't pay your employees, you can't pay yourself, all that sort of thing. So it's common sense, but it's really important. The subscription model was a way of being able to say we are getting paid for the eggs before the eggs are even laid. And I was unsure. I didn't know whether people would like the concept. Six years ago, it was quite different to be, I'm going to pay upfront for a product that hasn't been laid and hasn't been delivered yet. I was nervous as to whether we were going to get enough subscribers to keep the business kicking along. But the way I was able to manage that to start with was by starting smaller. So yeah, I only had 400, 450 birds to begin with. And also I had another way of selling the eggs and that was through the farmer's market and also through a partnership with one bakery. Look, if everything hit the fan and we couldn't sell the eggs... I was able to sell the eggs to a bakery pretty much at cost, which I didn't mind at that point because that meant that every egg we were producing was being sold. We had no spare eggs. So that that was the worry I had. It was, I suppose, a bit like dairy farming. You can't say to the chickens, hey, look, if you could just hold off today, that would be great. That's not a possibility. So we needed to have, well, I wanted to have an end market for every egg that we produced. It was through this really good market research that Sarah knew she could ensure all her eggs would have a home. That was where I was most nervous. That's the biggest risk because how do you actually find, keep and keep them happy, though, especially the subscription or retail business? So to actually start the business, I spent the first couple of years at a farmer's market in Newcastle and that was a great way to meet potential customers, both chefs and director and customer. The chefs came about by being able to offer that value proposition of 
here is an egg that I believe you can poach. If you cannot poach an egg in this box of 15 dozen, let me know. We will give you X number of eggs free as a result. And we didn't hand away any eggs for free, so we hoped we were doing something something right there. So one way of engaging with chefs is to actually get the chefs up to the farm. It's a lovely part of the Hunter Valley. We're on the Allen River at the base of the Barrington Tops. And they would love to come up. They might camp for the night, bring their team up. And we do that when we get new birds. And the reason we do it when we get new birds is the chef and their team can help us to perch train the birds. So, and what that means is we don't get birds at day old. We get them at 15 or 16 weeks of age, but they don't know necessarily know how to perch. So, or they don't realise that that's where the safest place to sleep is. So you spend about an hour on dusk picking up between four and 500 birds and four or five people, you're done in about an hour and you're literally picking up every bird, putting it on a perch. Some of us will actually talk to each bird as we're telling them goodnight. And then they're in their caravan, they're safe, and then they jump out first thing in the morning. If some of them actually jump out in the middle of the night for a midnight snack because they've got access to the outdoors the full, the sort of all night, uh, but most will stay in their shed until the next morning when the sun comes up. Before starting the business, Sarah had clearly done a bucket load of research and she made sure that there was a market for what she wanted to deliver. Once that groundwork was laid, then came her startup costs. Other barriers to entry would be, did we have the funding available to start a business like this? In my analysis, we needed about a quarter of a million to be comfortable and to do it well. And that included everything from the infrastructure through to end marketing to launch. Aside from funding, as you mentioned, we had land available, so I was very lucky in that instance, but it's not necessarily, it's not like the land is free. I still would lease it back from the beef business just to make sure that the business is financially viable. It's like if someone says that they don't pay themselves in their own business, that's fine as you're starting off with your business, but for me, I absolutely had to make sure that I was paying myself so that the numbers in the business represented this is a successful or a viable business and that it could stand on its own two legs, especially if I needed to step out of the business, which I have had to do recently. So funding, land, business planning and analysis were the big things before kicking off the business. So funding for the business came from a couple of different areas. I had been in the corporate world for quite a few years and had always known that I wanted to come back to the farm. So I was saving money, putting away money. At that stage, not knowing what the enterprise was going to be, I'd saved probably 150, 200 grand that way. But once the business had started, I also accessed Department of Primary Industries Farm Innovation Fund, took advantage of that. That It's a, basically a very low interest loan with a fixed, I think, yeah, fixed interest rate. And that was very helpful. I suppose for that, what that enabled was the business to scale a little bit more quickly than it would have if I'd relied purely on my own savings or even uh, cash flow from the business. The main reason I'd like to pay rent or lease the land for the egg business, and it's the same reason for paying myself a wage from the business, is that I want the numbers to represent what the actual business is. So not that I'm thinking of selling the business anytime soon, but the egg business is a farming business that could actually be picked up and sold to someone else because it's a completely mobile business. So I needed and want the books to represent the business as a whole and for not someone to come and say, hey, but you've just you've had free land for the last five or six years or you've had free use of tractors or something else from other parts of the business. So I think it was just me wanting to make sure this is what the actual business represents. Fascinating, right? 
paying rent to the beef side of your business, which is basically like paying yourself rent, isn't something I think a lot of us would think to do. But for Sarah, it was a way to ensure her business was financially sustainable. And it is. Sarah started the business back in 2017 with 450 chooks, and it took her two years to turn a profit. But she didn't get there overnight. We started with one mobile caravan. I wanted to be able to refine that process as quickly as possible to find out what was going to work, what wasn't going to work, and what we needed to do better, really. After a few months, we'd started to understand our customers better. We understood what they really, really wanted. So we were able then to add another 900 birds. And now we're sticking to about 24, 2,500 birds. There's often suggestion to increase. But for me, again, this comes back to my theory of wanting to diversify the overall business more than scale one part of the business. And that's just me. That's a reflection of my risk appetite as opposed to anything else. I think I've sort of learned a lot during the pandemic as to the type of customers we have. We didn't lose any subscription customers at all. If anything, we increased. They increased by about 25%. I think eggs became a bit like toilet paper. They were hard to come by at some point. And then when people realised that they could guarantee their supply by using our subscription and pick them up from a convenient location just around the corner from their house, they were quite happy to do that. So the business now in 2022 is about 2,500 birds. We have five staff of which no one is full-time. That's employing as many local people as we can. We've got, for example, a dairy farmer that runs her own dairy farm further up the road but is able to help out in the middle of the day, which works really well for us for egg collecting, grading and deliveries and that sort of thing. So we try to employ as many local people as we can. Finding staff is probably one of our hardest things to do. And I think that is also why I get nervous about scaling the business too much. I just think from a risk perspective, if all of a sudden you couldn't have everyone turn up to work, I don't know, if everyone got COVID or something like that, all of a sudden you're left to just you collecting all the eggs uh, in that instance. Sarah protects her chickens with about half a dozen Maremma Italian sheepdogs. She says they're worth their weight in gold. Yeah, the dogs certainly come at a cost, but oh my gosh, they pay themselves back within days and weeks, really. Like if you were to have a fox attack that killed 20 or 30 birds at once, whilst people might say, oh, that's just a $25 chicken or a $20 chicken or a $15 chicken, that's not the case at all. If, if that's a bird early in its laying life, you might have paid $20 for it up front, but for us, that could be a $200, $250 worth of lost revenue by losing that bird. So yeah, that could be become a very expensive night if the dogs don't do their job. Sarah's chooks themselves are a highline breed, uh, which she chose because they're assertive enough to find their nest boxes, but not too aggressive toward each other. And apart from chooks and the maremmas, Sarah's had a few other big business investments. From an infrastructure perspective, the major investments that I've had to make would include the mobile chicken caravans, of which I've got five of those of varying sizes. Poultry mesh. So initially I invested in mobile poultry mesh that could be moved weekly. But after a couple of years, I, as I said, I've invested now in fixed poultry mesh, like fencing, really permanent fencing. Um, that has definitely saved us labour time. It's, it's already paid its money back, its return on investment there. Other investments would include things like silos for feed and a grading shed or packing room set up, which has to be kept at a certain temperature to act as a cool room for the eggs. 
that's where that probably 250000 over the course of five or six years has come into play. Most of that investment, aside from the fencing, most of that investment was within the first 18 months. The packing room, obviously we needed that from day one, and the sheds we've gradually scaled up using the Farm Innovation Fund over the course of a couple of years. Sarah's business has grown slowly but steadily since she started in 2017. She began with 450 chooks and scaled up to 2,500 in about five years. But the complexities of COVID have presented Sarah with some difficult challenges. The pandemic was really hard. It's interesting to look back now after a few years and think, okay, we could have done things differently and would have done things differently knowing what we know now. We had a lot of spare eggs at certain points, especially during the lockdowns. That was where it hit us hard because whilst our subscription business still was kicking along and and doing really, really well, our hubs were still open, but they weren't open as sit-down breakfast hubs. They were open as, as everyone knew, you could pick up your takeaway coffee or take away some piece of cake, but you couldn't sit down. So that meant our wholesale business went out the door. Ever since we started the business, one of the core philosophies of the business is to make sure that we're also donating around 5% of our production to food charities. So we had already been donating and had a good partnership with Oz Harvest and a community kitchen in Maitland. But we went from giving them, say, three or four boxes of eggs a week, so 60 dozen a week, to at times we were sending 30 or 40 boxes. Uh, so what, th- whatever, 40 times 15 What's that? 600 dozen in a couple of those instances in a few weeks each week, straight into Oz Harvest, which is absolutely fine because the eggs were going to people that needed them and they were going to great use. It was just really hard financially because you, as we've said before, you, you can't tell the chickens to slow down or to stop eating or to stop laying eggs. They still needed to be fed as much as they were being fed before. We still had the team on here. We didn't lose anyone from the team during any of that time. And I actually wasn't able to be in the business collecting eggs day to day because I was eight or nine months pregnant and then now have a little one. Yeah, everything was happening all at once. We had, well, I had savings, so that's where the team was getting paid out of for a few of those lockdowns. But things ramped up again really quickly afterwards. Sarah's business smarts are only eclipsed by her super hard working spirit. She basically never stops. Her phone's always ringing, and all the while, she's looking after a small baby. But within all of that, she still has a chance to reflect. I love to look back and think, what would we do differently if we had our time again? And I think, I mean, there are a couple of things. It's not really how we've set up the business. I think I'm happy with the size. If anything, and I would maybe even reduce our chicken numbers a little bit further, now that we have the confidence to be able to say no to certain customers. So I think if I do anything differently, I would probably have slightly less chickens, shift more of our business to the subscription, so to the end, straight to the end customer's kitchen table. And from our wholesale business, I'd probably only have probably 20% of it sitting there. And I straight away, the customers we have at the moment are the customers we would absolutely keep. They are amazing. They've stuck with us through the pandemic, but not just that They'll talk about our product to their customers. They'll come out here and enjoy being on farm. And I just think, yeah, they're doing great things and they're great advocates for the way we run our business too. Here's Sarah's advice for other farmers wanting to start a paddock-to-plate style business. 
I think if I was reflecting and wanting to start a Paddock to Blake business again from scratch, certainly a few things I would be thinking about straight away, is there an end customer and is it an end customer that you can get close enough to? And I don't mean geographically, I mean from what they value, the way you communicate with them, etc., that they will ride the ups and downs with you and stay with you. And also that cost of production, I think it's very easy to write yourself off as free labour. And you really don't want to be doing that. So I really think if you can make sure you're calculating the hours you're putting into this so that you value your product properly when you go to put it or sell it on the market, I think it's really, really important. It's going to save a lot of tears down the line. A big thanks to Sarah Sivia from Just Been Laid Eggs for having us at her farm in the Hunter Valley. All episodes of Season 4 of Propagate are out now. Find them wherever you get your podcasts. And on the next episode of Propagate. So how our cow works is from the paddock to the plate, I guess we're controlling the whole supply chain. Our farmers supply us we, yeah, through direct consignment. We have worked with over 100 farmers all across New South Wales, Queensland and Victoria. They supply the livestock to us. Propagate is a podcast from the New South Wales Department of Primary Industries and an initiative by the Young Farmer Business Programme.